Amen. Good to see all of you this morning. 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. We're doing a series through the life and times of Elijah the prophet. And we come to 1 Kings chapter 21 this morning. Actually, this is one of my sort of favorite stories in the Old Testament. The story of Naboth's vineyard. And there's so much in this chapter that we're not going to be able to touch on all of it this morning, but we hope to maybe encourage you to get in and read it and study it for yourself and see what great things God could reveal to you out of this chapter as well. We want to start here this morning, where in 1 Kings 21 verse 1, it says, after the following episode took place, Naboth, the Jezreelite, owned a vineyard in Jezreel adjacent to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard so I can make a vegetable garden out of it, for it is adjacent to my palace. I will give you an even better vineyard in its place, or if you prefer, I will pay you silver for it. But Naboth replied to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should sell you my ancestral inheritance. Picture this in your mind. This great palace in Samaria. King Ahab and Jezebel live there with all their servants and all their stuff. And they've not only got this extensive piece of property there, they've got property everywhere in Israel because they're the king and the queen. They own so much. And here's this guy named Naboth. He's got one little piece of property. It's this little vineyard that's adjacent to the king and all that he owns. And yet the king comes to him and says, hey, I want what you have. Sell it to me. A couple things. First of all, this is a picture of what it's like in someone's life when they are not content with all that they have but they develop a a covetous spirit. And no matter how much they already have, we understand when we get to that place that our flesh can never really be satisfied and we always want more. We always look for that next thing that's finally gonna, you know, be the thing that brings fulfillment and satisfaction if that's our driving force. If, If the center of our life isn't God, and we're not allowing God to fill us up like Ahab wasn't, then obviously he began to live his life trying to fill his life with stuff, stuff, and more stuff. And the more stuff he got, the more he wanted. And here's the king who has all this stuff, and here's Naboth who has this one little vineyard, and yet he wants that too. Because you and I, if that's our bent, if that's what we've created, if we've not learned to allow God to bring and build contentment into our lives, and if we are living in a covetous way, then we're going to be just like Ahab. We're going to always look for that next thing to bring into my life to make me feel good, to fulfill me and satisfy me. Let us be careful of a covetous spirit and let us learn, especially as God's people, like Paul said, 
to be content. Paul writes to the Philippians, godliness with contentment is great gain. And God wants us to learn to be content rather than living a life of covetousness. Because God understands we'll never come to the end of that kind of a life. It'll never, it'll never be enough. It'll always be one more thing, God. One more thing. Secondly, notice how Naboth responds to the king. This little guy stands up to the big and powerful king. And notice the first thing that he says. The Lord forbid that I should sell you this land. Why does he say it that way? Because Naboth is living by the word of God. And if Ahab, the king, who should have known the word of God, but obviously either doesn't know it or disregards it, then he would have known the same thing that Naboth knew. That in the Old Testament, God told his people, this is land that I have given you through Joshua. This is the promised land. And I have divided this out into family plots or portions or inheritance. And you shall not sell your land to anyone. In fact, God told the kings in the Old Testament, if you are king, you better not ask for that land. Because that land is land that I gave to these families. And it is to be in the family perpetually. So when Naboth responds, the Lord forbid, he's using language that says, I'm not going to desecrate God by selling you this land. I'm not going to defile God. I'm not going to violate the covenant that my family and I've made with God. I take the word of God seriously. And if God's word says not to sell it, then I'm not going to sell it. He lived by the word of God. Which reminds us, if we start to live based on our own desires, rather than the word of God, we're going to get into trouble. And you can see here a contrast between Ahab, the king of Israel, who's living based on what he desires, not the word of God. And here's Naboth standing up to the king saying, I live by the word of God. I don't live by how I feel, by, you know, what, what's going to be good for me as far as anything materially or physically. I live by a different standard. I live by faith in the word of God. And this is a principle that's found throughout the Bible. The just shall live by faith in what God has said and what God has promised. So Naboth's response to the king is, the Lord forbid. Then he goes on in verse 3 to say, the Lord forbid that I should sell you my ancestral inheritance. What he's also saying to the king is this, I value spiritual things above physical material things. Now, I know on the surface, you and I are saying, well, wait a minute, this was a piece of land. This was something physical, but not to the Jews at this time in history. See, again, the reason he uses the words ancestral inheritance 
is these were plots and portions of land that God gave to Joshua and to all those who went into the promised land. And this was not just a piece of land. This was something spiritual. This was their spiritual heritage. This was their spiritual inheritance that they were to enjoy and that they were to pass down to their family from one generation to another. It wasn't just a physical piece of land. And so what Naboth is also, in a sense, saying back to the king is this. I make my decisions based upon the spiritual before I do the physical or the material. Because you notice in the passage that the king even offered Naboth. Naboth, I'll give you a better piece of property than this. And I'll even pay you silver or money for it. And the implication is that I'll give you more than a fair price for it. So if you were just looking at this as a good business person, you would go, Naboth, you're being foolish You're going to pad your pocket. You're going to be better off and you're going to get an even more uh, important piece of property than what you've got if you're just willing to sell it off to the king. But Naboth is illustrating for us and being a great example of someone who follows God who doesn't sell out. The Bible or the world says every person has a price. Every person has a price. You lay something out there in front of them that is high enough as far as value materially and physically, and even Christians will sell out after a certain point. Well, not Naboth. Even though this would have been a good business decision and one that he profited from, He says, this is my ancestral inheritance. I value spiritual things and being obedient to God above me prospering materially and physically. You know, that's quite a challenge to those of us as Christians who live today. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you heard a Christian say, I'm making this decision in my life or this choice in my life because it's going to better me spiritually. Not because it's going to better me physically or materially. When was the last time you heard a Christian say that? Maybe you have. I don't hear too many Christians say that. Usually what I hear from Christians is when they're making a choice or decision in their life, one of the first things they say is, this is going to benefit us materially. This is going to put us in a higher bracket. This is going to be better off for us physically. What about spiritually? Well, spiritually, I might go back a couple of steps, but, but we're going to be good physically and materially. And see, I think what Naboth is trying to teach us is, If we truly trust the Lord and have faith in him, then we will follow him and value spiritual things and realize that if we put our value on what he said, he'll take care of the physical needs. He will meet our physical needs. We might, again, not have everything that we want, but we will have everything we need because my God will supply all our need according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. 
we as Christians today have got to start like Naboth going, what's the best thing for me spiritually? Because then that shows God, I really trust you, God. Because I understand you will never lead me somewhere where you will not provide for me. And if you're telling me to live this way, then I'm going to live that way. And I'm going to let you take care of me. And I'm going to trust you to meet my provision. I'm not going to place material and physical above spiritual. And that's exactly what Naboth was doing. He wasn't selling out. And notice... It didn't matter who was asking. It was the king who was asking Naboth to sell his vineyard. But Naboth had a greater king. Naboth had the king of kings that he was following. And it was more important that Naboth follow God than it was the king of Israel. It was more important that Naboth be obedient to the Lord than follow what Ahab wanted to do. When was the last time as Christians, our choices and decisions were made by bettering ourselves spiritually, putting ourselves in a better spot, spiritually speaking? Something we need to think about. Because a lot of Christians, like I said, they'll make a choice or decision and they'll end up somewhere where maybe they're physically better off. They're materially better off, but spiritually they've went back a few steps. And Naboth is a challenge to all of us. Well, notice what Ahab's response is, verse 4. Ahab went into his palace bitter and angry. Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said, I must not sell to you my ancestor on inheritance. So he lay down on his bed, pouted, and would not eat. Don't you feel sorry for Ahab? He's got all this. And yet he's pouting because he didn't get Naboth's vineyard. Because someone stood up to the king and said no. Here's a lesson for all of us though. It reminds us that even as adults, even as leaders, like kings and queens, if we're not careful... We can exhibit childish behavior too. You know, childish behavior isn't just for children. We've got to be careful that as children and as youth and as young adults, we're not cultivating and creating and forming attitudes and dispositions that even then as adults, we end up reacting in very childish ways to how life is going. Because one of the things that God was speaking to me about here and showing me in his word was this. Every day that you and I live, we are either creating or forming a mature attitude and disposition or a childish attitude and disposition towards life. What are we creating and forming every day in our attitude and disposition? Because that's really what it's showing here. This was just the way Ahab was. This was his default. This was the way he normally handled things. If he didn't get his way, then I'm going to take my ball home and go home and I'm going to pout. And I'm not going to eat. (laughs) 
Then his wife Jezebel, verse 5. You can just see it. Naboth's there on his bed. Get the land. His wife Jezebel came in. You just got to picture who this gal is. She's a winner. And she says to him, why do you have a bitter attitude and refuse to eat? Basically, why are you in a bad mood? He answered her, while I was talking to Naboth, the the Jezreelite, I said to him, sell me your vineyard for silver, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not sell you my vineyard. Did you notice something there? Ahab didn't tell her the whole story, did he? All Naboth told his wife Jezebel was, I offered a fair price and I offered to take care of this guy and he just wouldn't sell me his vineyard. He never said anything about, well, it was really God's will that he not sell me it. He never said, he said, the Lord forbid that I should sell you my ancestral inheritance. He left all that out. Which is something we have to be careful of. And I've stepped in it many times myself. Where I enter into a situation between two individuals and I only get one side of the story. They don't tell me everything. They don't tell me the whole conversation. They just sort of tell me what they want me to hear and they spin it their way to make it look like I can be sympathetic to them. I don't get the other side of it. He never told Jezebel the whole story. You and I have to be careful as Christians and discerning to realize that the Bible teaches us we should never, first of all, get involved in most situations between others. And second of all, before we start taking sides and making judgments and coming down saying, well, we better make sure that we heard both sides of it. Because you and I all know, and if we're honest, we've done it ourselves, where we've been in situations where we only told people to where it made us, it cast us in a better light than it really could have or should have. And others do that as well. And that's exactly what's happening here, even between a husband and a wife. So notice, she says, verse 7, you are the king of Israel. Basically, you call the shots in Israel. You're the king. You letting this little guy, Naboth, push you around? Says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up, eat some food, have a good time. I'll take care of it. And boy, she was going to take care of it, all right. We don't have time, and I didn't want to take the time to go into how devious this woman was. But basically, in her mind, she has the attitude through life. And this is probably one of the reasons why she got to the place she did is if I want something, I'm just going to go out and make it happen. And that means even taking somebody's life because here was her plan. I'm going to get I'm going to get some unscrupulous people together and I'm going to trump up some charges against Naboth that aren't even true. And I'm going to make these charges stick, even though they're not true and what's going to end up happening is they're going to sentence Naboth to death. They're going to take him outside the city and stone him to death. And then we'll just take his vineyard. That's my plan. Jezebel is showing us 
what not to be as a follower of God. And one of the things that she teaches us here is that if we're truly following the the Lord, then we will have the patience and the faith to wait for God to bring something about if it's truly from Him, rather than forcing something to happen by us taking matters into our own hands. And we as Christians... (laughs) We, we can be so much like that because we've been influenced that that's the way the world deals with things. I want that. God hasn't chosen to give it to me in his time. I'm tired of waiting on God. I'm just going to take matters into my own hands and I don't care who I hurt and who I trample on to get it. I'm going to get it somehow, some way. That, that was Jezebel. See, Jezebel and Ahab never took the spiritual perspective and never even took the spiritual in mind that if I truly am following God and I believe that every good and every perfect gift comes from him, if he truly wants me to have something, then he'll give it to me exactly at the right time. And maybe it's just a case of timing. Maybe it's just a case of God wants to show me some other things first and then give this to me, whatever it is, a little bit further down the road. But there may also be, in God's wisdom, the understanding that this thing that I really think I want or need isn't going to be good for me. And so I need to trust him to either bring it into my life or not bring it into my life instead of making it happen. That was Jezebel. And so the Bible tells us exactly what Jezebel does. She gets these wicked men together. They trump up these charges in court. Falsely accuse Naboth of blaspheming against God and the king. And the sentence is death. And they take this young man, Naboth, outside the city. And they murder him. You ever been falsely accused? Naboth can identify with that. And one of the other things that Naboth in his life teaches us is that sometimes obedience to God is costly. Sometimes it's costly to obey God. But again, we live in a culture today where we don't want following God to cost us anything, we want it to be convenient. I'm primarily looking to you, God, so that I can materially and physically prosper. I'm not looking to take up my cross and follow you. I'm not looking to become more like Jesus Christ and have you build character into my life. I want an easy life. I want you to remove all the obstacles and the problems and all that. And I want you to make it easy for me, God. But Naboth... Again, is a great example that sometimes obedience to God costs us something. Because Naboth wasn't selling out. Ahab sold out to God long ago. Jezebel sold out to God long ago. There were other things that were of greater value than what God thought and what God said. And so they lived a life of total disregard for God and his word and did things their own way. But what we're going to see here is that's how you and I get discouraged at times, even as Christians. Because if we were to just stop with the story right now, 
we would all go, man, look, this guy just tried to do the right thing and look at him and look at these wicked people and how they're prospering and it doesn't seem like anything bad's happening. There's always the rest of the story, though. Let's keep reading. And let's remember something, that God always has the last word. And we must allow God to always have the last word. We can never get to a place where we are allowing ourselves to be discouraged just by what we see at any one moment or snapshot of history. Because we could all get discouraged just looking at something from a snapshot perspective. Part of the reason why God takes us all the way through the word to the book of Revelation and shows us how things are going to end up is because he wants us not to live in a snapshot mode, but in long-term mode. He wants us to see things from an eternal perspective like him, not just a temporal, earthly perspective like many people do today. So verse 17, the Lord comes to Elijah, says, Elijah, I got a mission for you. I want you to get up, go down, meet King Ahab of Israel who lives in Samaria. He's at the vineyard of Naboth. He has gone down there to take possession of it. By the way, very interestingly, this is not only picturing a physical descent. This is picturing a moral and and spiritual descent as well. When the Bible says he went down to take possession of it, the word in the Hebrew literally means to decline, to descend, to sink. In other words, God is saying to Elijah, do you see how he continues to sink further and further down in the decisions and choices that he and Jezebel makes? God is saying this isn't just him physically going down to the vineyard. This is showing you how he continues to sink further and further down in the decisions and choices that he makes. And God says to Elijah, say to him in verse 19, this is what the Lord says. That word says in the Hebrew means to think. In other words, God's saying, this is what I think. Well, up to this time, Ahab and Jezebel could care less what God thinks. There's a question. Do we really care what God thinks? Do we really care what God thinks about things? I think that's one of the motivations for getting into the word. We want to know what God thinks about things. Here it is. This is how he thinks about things. And then he says to Elijah, haven't you committed murder? This is when he confronts Ahab. Haven't you committed murder and taken possession of the property of the deceased? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. Now, this word says means to vow or promise. In other words, God's saying, here's my promise. Ahab, in the spot where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, they will also lick up your blood. Yes, yours. I'm going to have the last word. Ahab, God has had enough. Is our God a patient, merciful, long-suffering God? Absolutely. But the Bible also teaches a very balanced view of God. He's also holy and righteous and just. And there comes a point, even with God, where He has had enough. And where He will step in. And where He will intervene. And things will change. 
That's why the Bible also always encourages us. It'd be better for us to humble ourselves before God than to get to a place where God has to humble us. Because I've been there sometimes in my life, and I'll just tell you personally, it's not fun when God humbles you. And God's getting ready to humble Ahab. So in verse 20, Elijah arrives. Ahab says to him, so you have found me, my enemy. Notice Ahab's perspective even on Elijah. All this guy wants to do is basically share the truth of God with him. All he wants to do is basically point out who God is in his life. But Ahab considers him an enemy because of it. You ever been there? I'm sure you have. Either on one side or the other. Where God was sending people into your life to try to get you on the right track. And you looked at them or I looked at them as my enemy. And maybe you've just tried to help somebody else by sharing God's truth with them. And how do they look at you? You're my enemy. Because when we're in a bad place like Ahab, we don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to be confronted with what God thinks. And so anybody that God brings into our life, we automatically view as our enemy rather than someone that God has sent into our life to truly help us. That's exactly where Ahab is. He doesn't look at Elijah as a friend and someone who's there to truly help him if he'll listen. He doesn't look at Elijah as someone who's telling him what he needs to hear. Because all Ahab cares about is what he wants to hear. So Elijah replied, I have found you because you have committed to doing evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord says, look, I am ready to bring disaster on you. I will destroy you. I'm going to cut off every male that is related to you in Israel. Basically, I'm going to cut off your ancestral line. Because you took Naboth's ancestral line and you cut it off. I'm going to do the same thing to you, Ahab. You're done. I get the last word. He also goes on to tell Ahab through Elijah in verse 23 that Jezebel is also going to perish. And that the dogs are going to devour Jezebel by the outer wall of Jezreel. Not a very happy ending for Ahab and Jezebel, is it? In fact, notice in verse 25, 1 Kings tells us there had never been anyone like Ahab who was firmly committed to doing evil. Those words in the Hebrew literally mean to sell out to. In other words, he was sold out all right. He wasn't sold out to God. He was sold out to doing evil. In fact, it's words also that the Hebrews used for marriage. In other words, God is basically saying, you married evil. You you married, you committed yourself to evil. Like no other king before you or no other king after you. I'm done, Ahab. Enough is enough. In fact, verse 47, or excuse me, lost my place. He goes on to say, there has never been anyone like Ahab 
who was firmly committed to doing evil, verse 25, in the sight of the Lord. And then notice this, urged on by his wife, Jezebel. The words urged mean to incite, to instigate, to lure. In fact, very interestingly, the words also mean a thorn bush. Basically, God saying through Elijah to Ahab, your wife has been a thorn bush to you. Oh, there's so much we could say about that. Let me just say a couple things. First of all, this reminds us how important it is that we marry the right person. You marry the right person, spiritually speaking, but you marry the wrong person, the influence that they can have on you for out, throughout your life together can be so spiritually detrimental, one way or the other. And that's why the Bible tells us we've got to be careful about who we marry. Because one of the other things that this is talking about is not just with marriage, but with life in general is we underestimate the influence that other people have on us. We somehow get deceived and think, no, people don't really influence me. I'm my own person. I make my own decisions and choices. I don't get influenced by outside forces. Yeah, we do. If we're honest, we all are more influenced by others around us than what we think we are or believe we are, which is all the more reason why the Bible says, be careful about those you allow to influence you and those who are in your inner circle and those you allow to get closest to you. Because if you allow that influence, you better make sure that that influence is one that's driving you towards God and becoming more like Christ rather than the other way, because people will influence us. He who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm, the Bible says. And we see that even here with Ahab. It's not that Ahab wasn't bad on his own. That's not what the the Bible's not absolving Ahab of his responsibility. He was bad on his own. But what the Bible does say is when he chose to marry Jezebel, that girl certainly didn't do anything to turn his heart towards the Lord. That girl came into his life and turned his heart even further away from God. And so the Bible goes on to say he was so wicked. He worshiped the disgusting idols, just like the Amorites when the Lord had or whom the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. But here's something amazing. When Ahab heard these words, and this might have been the first time in his whole life that he really allowed the force of the word of God to affect him. And you and I have to do that. Even if it's unpleasant and convicting and uncomfortable, we always have to allow the force of the word of God to affect us. Because the Bible's not for information, it's for transformation. When he heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He slept in sackcloth and walked around dejected. The word dejected doesn't mean like he was pouting like he was earlier. It literally means he walked around gently or softly. It's like, oh my goodness. God's getting ready to... I I don't want to, you know. It's like... My parents used to tell me when I was growing up, it's like, you know, 
Some people need to be taken down a few pegs. God was taking Ahab down a few pegs. God was humbling Ahab. God was showing Ahab, Ahab, you're going to die just like everybody else dies. You may be the king and you may have all this stuff, but it's not about all this stuff. It's about your relationship with me. And I can change things just like that. God got Ahab's attention. And one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that God, being God, can get our attention anytime if he wants to. But most of the time, God doesn't choose to again come into our life with something so drastic and a big crisis mode to get our attention. Usually, like we've already learned in the life of Elijah, usually God wants to come into our life with just a gentle voice and a soft whisper and speak to us. But if you and I just continue to turn the voice of God off and we do not allow what God is saying to us to have any effect in our life, then there will come a point where God will get our attention. And it won't be on our terms. It will be on His terms. So that He can finally have our face and our eyeballs on His face and on His Word and we finally engage with Him. And that's exactly what was happening with Ahab. Ahab was finally going to get engaged, if you will, with God. And then we see, again, the mercy and grace of God. That in spite of all that Ahab has done, and the fact that he, if anybody deserved the judgment of God to come down on him hard, you know what God does? As soon as he sees that Ahab sincerely now, not a show, because God knows our heart, that God saw that Ahab sincerely and genuinely was being humbled and was willing to listen to God, at least for a time, the Bible says that God was willing to relent. Say, you know what? I'm not going to do this in your lifetime. I'll do it in your ancestors' lifetime because they're not going to turn to me either. But I won't do it in your lifetime. Wow. Wow. What a God. See, God responds to repentance. God responds. If you and I are willing to listen to God and humble ourselves and, and get engaged with God, then God says, okay. Because God isn't looking to destroy. God takes no pleasure even in the death of the wicked. God wants a relationship with his creation and will go to great lengths to create and build that relationship with his creation. But just like we've learned here again today, there does come a point, even with a gracious and merciful and patient God, where enough is enough. And God will step in. And God did that with Ahab. And God will do that with Ahab and Jezebel come next week. Here's a thought to leave you with. This whole passage to me has been about selling out. Ahab and Jezebel sold out to God long ago. And sold themselves and committed themselves to a certain lifestyle that disregarded God. Had no respect for him at all. Naboth was the example, shining light in this story, 
not even Elijah, but Naboth, of a man or a woman who was not only willing to stand up to the king, but to stand up for God. And wasn't willing to sell out no matter what. Even if it cost him his very life. To Naboth, it was more important to live by the word of God. To Naboth, it was more important to value spiritual things than it was material or physical things. And Naboth is an example to all of us today. He is saying to all of us, From the pages of scripture, don't sell out. Don't sell out. Stand up for the Lord, for his word, and for what is right. And never sell out, no matter who is asking. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this man Naboth. A man that I'm sure we will see in glory one day. A man, at least for those of us at the Oasis, might even be able to recollect back to this very Sunday. And we could go up to him and say, Naboth. There was a Sunday in December at the Oasis Church in Chandler, Arizona, where we opened up the Word of God and we heard about what you did. And I just want to say, Naboth, thank you for what you did because your life and how you dealt with Ahab and Jezebel was an inspiration to me. It It helped change some things in my life. Nothing I'm sure would please Naboth more than to hear those words someday. That's what it should be about for all of us. Living in such a way that we inspire others to sell out for God instead of selling out to the world. God, may we do that starting today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.